irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. Outer space, or simply just space, is the void that exists between celestial bodies, including the Earth. It is not completely empty but consists of a hard vacuum containing a low density of particles, predominantly a plasma of hydrogen and helium, as well as electromagnetic radiation, magnetic fields, neutrinos, dust, and cosmic rays. The baseline temperature, as set by the background radiation from the Big Bang, is 2.7 degrees Kelvin. Plasma with a number density of less than one hydrogen atom per cubic meter and a temperature of millions of Kelvin in the space between galaxies accounts for most of the baryonic or ordinary matter in outer space. Local concentrations have condensed into stars and galaxies In most galaxies, observations provide evidence that 90% of the mass is in an unknown form called dark matter, which interacts with other matter through gravitational, but not electromagnetic forces. Incredible. Data indicate that the majority of mass energy in the observable universe is a poorly understood vacuum energy of space which astronomers label dark energy. Intergalactic space takes up most of the volume of the universe, but even galaxies and star systems consist almost entirely of empty space.
There is no firm boundary where space begins. However, the Kármán line at altitude of 100 kilometers or 62 miles above sea level is conventionally used as the start of outer space in space treaties and for aerospace records keeping. The framework for international space law was established by the Outer Space Treaty, which was passed by the United Nations in 1967. This treaty precludes any claim of national sovereignty and permits all states to freely explore outer space. Despite the drafting of UN resolutions for the peaceful uses of outer space, anti-satellite weapons have been tested in Earth's orbit. Humans began the physical exploration of space during the 20th century with the advent of high-altitude balloon flights, followed by manned rocket launches. Earth orbit was first achieved by Yuri Gagarin of the Soviet Union in 1961, and unmanned spacecraft have since reached all of the known planets in the solar system. Due to the high cost of getting into space, manned spaceflight has been limited to low Earth orbit and the Moon. Outer space represents a challenging environment for human exploration because of the dual hazards of vacuum and radiation. Microgravity also has a negative effect on human physiology that causes both muscle atrophy and bone loss. In addition to these health and environmental issues, the economic costs of putting objects, including humans, into space is high. In the year 350 BC, Greek philosopher Aristotle suggested that nature abhors a vacuum, a principle that became known as the horror vacui. This concept built upon a 5th century BC ontological argument by the Greek philosopher Parmenides, who denied the possible existence of a void in space. Based on this idea that a vacuum could not exist, in the West it was widely held for many centuries that space could not be empty. As late as the 17th century, the French philosopher René Descartes argued that the entirety of space must be filled. In ancient China, There were various schools of thought concerning the nature of the heavens, some of which bear a resemblance to the modern understanding. In the 2nd century, astronomer Zhang Heng became convinced that space must be infinite, extending well beyond the mechanisms that support the sun and the stars. The surviving books of the Shuan He school said that the heavens were boundless, empty and void of substance. Likewise, the sun, moon, and the company of stars float in the empty space, moving or standing still. 
the Italian scientist Galileo Galilei, knew that air had to mass and so was subject to gravity. In 1640, he demonstrated that an established force resisted the formation of a vacuum. However, it would remain for his pupil, Evangelista Torsellini, to create an apparatus that would produce a vacuum in 1643. This experiment resulted in the first mercury barometer and created a scientific sensation in Europe. The French mathematician Blase Pascal reasoned that if a column of mercury was supported by air, then the column ought to be shorter at higher altitude, where the air pressure is lower. In 1648, his brother-in-law, Florin Pierre, repeated the experiment on the Pau de la Dome mountain in central France and found that the column was shorter by three inches. This decrease in pressure was further demonstrated by carrying a half-full balloon up the mountain and watching it gradually inflate and then deflate upon descent. In the year 1650, German scientist Otto von Goerich constructed the first vacuum pump, a device that would further refute the principle of horror vacui. He correctly noted that the atmosphere of the Earth surrounds the planet like a shell, with the density gradually declining with higher altitude. He concluded that there must be a vacuum between the Earth and the Moon. Back in the 15th century, German theologian Nicholas Koskanas speculated that the universe lacked a center and a circumference. He believed that the universe, while not infinite, could be held as finite as it lacked any bounds which it would could be contained. These ideas led to speculations as to the infinite dimension of space by the Italian philosopher Giordano Bruno in the 16th century. He extended the Copernican heliocentric cosmology to the concept of an infinite universe filled with a substance he called ether, which did not cause resistance to the motions of the heavenly bodies. English philosopher William Gerbert arrived at a similar conclusion, arguing that the stars are visible to us only because they are surrounded by a thin ether or void. This concept of an ether originated with ancient Greek philosophers, including Aristotle, who conceived of it as the medium through which the heavenly bodies moved. The concept of a universe filled with a luminiferous ether remained in vogue among some scientists 
until the early 20th century. This form of ether was viewed as the medium through which light could propagate. In 1887, the Michelson-Morley experiment tried to detect the Earth's motion through this medium by looking for changes in the speed of light depending on the direction of the planet's motion. However, the null result indicated something was wrong with the concept. The idea of a luminiferous ether was then abandoned. It was replaced by Albert Einstein's theory of special relativity, which holds that the speed of light in a vacuum is a fixed constant, independent of the observer's motion or frame of reference. The first professional astronomer to support the concept of an infinite universe was the Englishman Thomas Diggs in 1576. But the scale of the universe remained unknown until the first successful measurement of the distance to a nearby star in 1838 by German astronomer Friedrich Bessel. He showed that the star 61 Cygni had a parallax of just 0.31 arc seconds. The actual modern value of parallax from star 61 Cygna is today 0.287, so he was incredibly close for his time. This corresponds to a distance of over 10 light years away. The distance to the Andromeda Galaxy was determined in 1923 by American astronomer Edwin Hubble by measuring the brightness of a CFID variables in the galaxy, a new technique discovered by Henrietta Leavitt. This established that the Andromeda Galaxy, and by all extensions all galaxies, lay well outside the Milky Way. If you would remember, back in 1923, the whole scientific community, as well as the world, thought the Milky Way galaxy was the entire universe. Boy, were they wrong. The earliest known estimate of the temperature of outer space was by the Swiss physicist Charles de Goulomy in 1896, using the estimated radiation of the background stars, he concluded that space must be heated to a temperature of 5 to 6 Kelvin. British physicist Arthur Eddington made a similar calculation to derive a temperature of 3.18 degrees Kelvin in 1926. In 1933, German physicist Enric Regener used the total measured energy of the cosmic rays to estimate an intergalactic temperature of 2.8 Kelvin. The modern concept of outer space is based on the Big Bang cosmology, first proposed in 1931 by the Belgian physicist Georges Lemaitre. This theory holds that the observable universe originated from a very compact form that has since undergone continuous expansion. The background energy released during the initial expansion has steadily decreased in density, 
leading to a 1948 prediction by American physicist Ralph Alpher and Robert Herman of a temperature of 5 Kelvin for the temperature of space. The term outer space was used as early as 1842 by the English poet Lady Emmeline Stuart Wortley in her poem The Maiden of Moscow. The expression outer space was used by an astronomical term by Alexander von Humboldt in 1845. It was later popularized in the writings of H.D. Wells in 1901. The shorter term space is actually older than the term outer space and was first used to mean the region beyond the Earth's sky in John Milton's Paradise Lost in the year 1667. According to the Big Bang Theory, the universe originated in an extremely hot and dense state about 13.8 billion years ago and began expanding rapidly. About 380,000 years later, the universe had cooled sufficiently to allow protons and electrons to combine and form hydrogen, the so-called recombination epoch. When this happened, matter and energy became decoupled, allowing photons to travel freely through space. The matter that remained following the initial expansion has since undergone gravitational collapse to create stars, galaxies, and other astronomical objects, leaving behind a deep vacuum that forms what is now called outer space. As light has a finite velocity, this theory also contains the size of a directly observable universe. This leaves open the question as whether the universe is finite or infinite. The present day shape of the universe has been determined from measurements of the cosmic microwave background using satellites like the Wilkinson Microwave Antiostrophe Probe. These observations indicate that the observable universe is flat, meaning that photons on parallel paths at one point will remain parallel as they travel through space to the limit of the observable universe, except for local gravity. The flat universe, combined with the measured mass density of the universe and the accelerating expansion of the universe indicates that space has a non-zero vacuum energy which is called dark energy. Estimates put the average energy density of the universe at the equivalent of 5.9 protons per cubic meter including dark energy dark matter, and baryonic matter, which is ordinary matter composed of atoms. The baryonic matter, the ordinary matter composed of atoms, accounts for only 4.6% of the total energy density, or a density of one proton per four cubic meters. 
it's a very small amount. The density of the universe, however, is clearly not uniform. It ranges from relatively high densities in galaxies, including high densities in structures within galaxies, such as planets, stars, and black holes, to conditions in vast voids that have much lower density, at least in terms of visible matter. Unlike the matter and dark matter, the dark energy seems not to be concentrated in galaxies, although dark energy may account for a majority of the mass energy in the universe. Dark energy's influence is five orders of magnitude smaller than the influence of gravity from matter and dark matter within the Milky Way. So even though dark energy is the majority of energy in the universe, its magnitude of order is five times less than that of gravity when it comes to influencing the planets and the stars. It is truly a very weak form of energy. Outer space is the closest known approximation to a perfect vacuum. It has effectively no friction allowing stars, planets, and moons to move freely along their ideal orbits. However, even the deep vacuum of intergalactic space is not devoid of matter, as it contains a few hydrogen atoms per cubic meter. So compare that to the air we breathe, which contains about 10 to the 25th molecules of hydrogen atoms per cubic meter. The sparse density of matter in outer space means that the electromagnetic radiation can travel great distances without being scattered. The mean free path of photon in intergalactic space is about 10 to the 23rd kilometer or 10 billion light years. In spite of this, Extinction, which is the absorption and scattering of photons by dust and gas, is an important factor in galactic and intergalactic astronomy. Stars, planets, and moons retain their atmospheres by gravitational attraction. Atmospheres have no clearly delineated boundary. The density of atmosphere gas gradually decreases with distance, from the object until it becomes indistinguishable from the surrounding environment. The Earth's atmospheric pressure drops to about 0.032 pascals at 100 kilometers or 62 miles of altitude, compared to the 100,000 pascals for the International Union of Pure and Applied Chemistry definition of standard pressure. Beyond this altitude, Isotropic gas pressure rapidly becomes insignificant when compared to radiation pressure from the sun and the dynamic pressure of the solar wind. The thermosphere in this range has large gradients of pressure, temperature, and composition, and varies greatly due to space weather. The temperature of the vacuum is measured in terms of the kinetic activity of the gas as it is on Earth. However, 
the radiation that fills the vacuum has a different temperature than the kinetic temperature of the gas, meaning that the gas and radiation are not in thermodynamic equilibrium. All of the observable universe is filled with photons that were created during the Big Bang, which is known as the Comic Microwave Background Radiation, or CMB. There is quite likely a correspondingly large number of neutrinos called the cosmic neutrino background, but we have yet to discover that. The current black body temperature of the background gradation is around 3 degrees Kelvin, which correlates to minus 270 degrees Celsius, or an astounding minus 454 degrees Fahrenheit. Two things. Space is very, very cold. And the scientists back in the 14th, 15th, and 16th, and 17th century were very close in their estimates of what the background radiation temperature of space was. The gas temperature in outer space are always at least the temperature of the cosmic microwave background radiation, but can be much higher. For example, the corona of the sun has the temperatures which range from over 1.2 to 2.6 million Kelvin. Outside of a protective atmosphere and magnetic field, there are few obstacles to the passage through space of energetic subatomic particles known as cosmic rays. These particles have energies ranging from about 10 to the 6 electron volts to up to an extreme of 10 to the 20th electron volts of ultra-high energy cosmic rays. The peak flux of cosmic rays occurs at energies out of about 10.10 to the 9th electron volts with approximately 87% protons, 12% helium nuclei, and 1% heavier nuclei. In the high energy range, the flux of electrons is only about 1% of that of protons. Cosmic rays can damage electronic components and pose a health threat to space travelers. According to astronauts, space has a burned metallic odor that clings to their suits and equipment, similar to the scent of an arc welding torch. That is amazing when you think about it, that astronauts report that when they come in from their EVAs or their spacewalks or bring in a piece of equipment that was outside the space station, it smells like arc, an arc welding torch, that space actually has a smell. Amazing. Despite the harsh environment of several life forms that have been found that can withstand extreme space conditions for extended periods, species of lichen carried on the European Space Agency Biopan facility survived exposure for 10 days in 2007. Seeds of the Aridopius thialani and Nicotania tabacum germinated after being exposed to space for 1.5 years. A strain of Bacillus substalis has survived 559 days 
when exposed to low Earth orbit or a simulated Martian environment. The lithopanspermia hypothesis suggests that rocks ejected into outer space from life-harboring planets may successfully transport life forms to another habitable world. A conjecture is that such a scenario occurred early in the history of the solar system, with potentially microorganism-bearing rocks being exchanged between Venus, Earth, and Mars. What does the vacuum of space do to the human body? A sudden exposure to very low pressure, such as a during a rapid decompression, can cause pulmonary barotrauma, a rupture of the lungs due to the large pressure differential between inside and outside of the chest. Even if the victim's airway is fully open, the flow of air through the windpipe may be too slow to prevent the rupture. Rapid decompression can rupture eardrums and sinuses. Bruising and blood seep can often occur in soft tissues, and shock can cause an increase in oxygen consumption that leads to hypoxia. As As a consequence of rapid decompression, any oxygen dissolved in the blood will empty into the lungs to try to equalize the partial pressure gradient. Once the deoxygenated blood arrives at the brain, humans will lose consciousness after a few seconds and die of hypoxia within minutes. Blood and other body fluids boil when the pressure drops below 6.3 kilopascals, and this condition is called ebulism. The steam may bloat the body to twice its normal size and slow circulation, but tissues are elastic and porous enough to prevent rupture. Ebolism is slowed by the pressure containment of blood vessels, so some blood remains liquid. Swelling and ebolism can be reduced by containment in a flight suit. The crew altitude protection suit, or CAPS, is a fitted elastic garment designed in the 1960s for astronauts, prevents ebolism at pressures as low as 2 kilopascals. Remember, at 6.3 kilopascals, ebolism is produced. Spacesuits are needed at 8 kilometers or 5 miles to provide enough oxygen for breathing and to prevent water loss. While above 20 kilometers or 12 miles, they're essential to prevent ebolism. Most spacesuits use around 30 to 39 kilopascals of pure oxygen, about the same as on Earth's surface. The pressure is high enough to prevent ebolism, but evaporation of nitrogen dissolved in blood could still cause decompression sickness and gas ebolisms if not managed correctly. Humans evolved for life on Earth in gravity, and exposure to weightlessness has been shown to have deleterious effects on the health of the human body. Initially, more than 50% of all astronauts 
experience space motion sickness. This can cause nausea and vomiting, vertigo, headaches, lethargy, and overall malaise. The duration of space sickness varies, but it typically lasts for one to three days, after which the body adjusts to the new environment. Long-term exposure to weightlessness results in muscle atrophy and deterioration of the skeleton or space flight osteopenia. These effects can be minimized through a regimen of exercise. Other effects include fluid redistribution, slowing of the cardiovascular system, decreased production of red blood cells, balance disorder, and a weakening of the immune system. Lesser symptoms include loss of body mass, nasal congestion, sleep disturbance, and the dreaded puffiness of the face. For long-duration space travel, radiation can pose an acute health hazard. Exposure to radiation sources, such as high-energy ionizing cosmic rays, can result in fatigue, nausea, vomiting, as well as damage to the immune system and changes to the white blood cell count. Over longer durations, symptoms include an increase in the risk of cancer, plus damage to the eyes, nervous systems, lungs, and gastrointestinal tract. On a round-trip Mars mission, lasting three years, nearly the entire body would be traversed by high-energy nuclei, each of which can cause ionizing damage to cells. Fortunately, most such particles are significantly attuned by the shielding provided by the aluminum walls of the spacecraft and can be further diminished by water containers and other barriers. However, the impact of cosmic rays upon the shielding produces additional radiation that can affect the crew. Further research will be needed to assess the radiation hazards and determine suitable countermeasures. There is no clear boundary between Earth's atmosphere and space. As the density of the atmosphere gradually decreases, as the altitude increases. There are several standard boundary designations, namely, the Federation Aeronautique Internationale has established the Carmen Line at an altitude of 100 kilometers or 62 miles as a working definition for the boundary between aeronautics and astronautics. This is used because at an altitude of about 100 kilometers, or 62 miles, as Theodore von Karman calculated, a vehicle would have to travel faster than orbital velocity in order to derive sufficient aerodynamic lift from the atmosphere to support itself. The United States designates people who travel above an altitude of 50 miles or 80 kilometers as astronauts. The NASA Space Shuttle used 400,000 feet or 76 miles or 122 kilometers as its re-entry altitude, the term the entry interface, 
which roughly marks the boundary where atmospheric drag becomes noticeable, thus the beginning process of switching from steering with thrusters to maneuvering with air surfaces. In 2009, scientists at the University of Calgary reported detailed measurements with a super-thermal ion imager, an instrument that measures the direction and speed of ions, which allowed them to establish a boundary at 118 kilometers or 73 miles above Earth. The boundary represents the midpoint of a gradual transition over tens of kilometers from a relatively gentle winds of the Earth's atmosphere to the more violent flows of charged particles in space, which can reach speeds of well over 268 meters per second, or 600 miles per hour. The altitude where the atmospheric pressure matches the vapor pressure of water at the temperature of the human body is called the Armstrong Line, named after the American physician Harry G. Armstrong. It is located at an altitude of around 19.14 kilometers, or 11.89 miles. At or above the Armstrong lines, fluids in the throat and lungs will boil away. More specifically, exposed bodily liquids such as saliva, tears, and the liquids wetting the alveoli within the lungs will boil away. Hence, at this altitude, the human body requires a pressure chute or pressurized capsule to survive. And that's roughly just 12 miles above the Earth's surface. A spacecraft enters Earth orbit when it is in enough horizontal velocity for its centripetal acceleration due to gravity to be less or equal to the centrifugal acceleration due to the horizontal component of its velocity. For a low Earth orbit, this velocity is about 7,800 meters per second, or 28,100 kilometers per hour, or 17,400 miles per hour, which is what the shuttle would fly at in space. By contrast, the fastest manned airplane ever achieved, excluding speeds achieved by deorbiting spacecraft, was 2,200 meters per second, 7,900 kilometers per hour, or 4,900 miles per hour. And this, amazingly enough, was done in the year 1967 by the North American X-15 airplane. To achieve an orbit, a spacecraft must travel faster than a suborbital spaceflight. The energy required to reach Earth orbital velocity at an altitude of 600 kilometers or 370 miles is about 36 thousand miles per hour, which is six times the energy needed, uh, which is about 36 megajoules per kilogram, which is six times the energy needed merely to climb the corresponding altitude. Spacecraft with a perigee below about 2,000 kilometers or 1,200 miles are subject to drag from the Earth's atmosphere, 
which will cause the orbital altitude to decrease. The rate of orbital decay depends on the satellite's cross-sectional area and mass, as well as variations in the air density of the atmosphere. Below about 300 kilometers, or 190 miles, decay becomes more rapid, with lifetimes measured in days. Once a satellite descends to 180 kilometers, or 110 miles, above Earth, it will start to burn up in the atmosphere. The escape velocity required to pull free of the Earth's gravitational field altogether and move into interplanetary space is about 11,200 meters per second, 40 or 40,300 kilometers per hour, or 25,100 miles per hour. If you recall, during translunar injection, Apollo 11 and Apollo 8 and all the Apollos that went to the moon hit roughly at about 24,000 miles per hour. Earth's gravity reaches out far past the Van Allen radiation belts and keeps the moon in orbit on an average distance of 384,403 kilometers or 238,857 miles. The region of space where the gravity of a planet tends to dominate the motion of objects in the presence of other perturbing bodies, such as another planet, is known as the Hill Sphere. For Earth, this sphere has a radius of about 1.5 million kilometers or 930,000 miles. Space is a partial vacuum. Its different regions are defined by the various atmosphere and winds that dominate within them and extend to the point at which those winds give way to those beyond. Geospace extends from the Earth's atmosphere to the outer reaches of the Earth's magnetic field, whereupon it gives way to the solar wind of the interplanetary space. The interplanetary space extends from the geosphere to the helipause, where the solar wind gives way to the winds of the interstellar medium. Interstellar space starts from interplanetary space, then continues to the edge of the galaxy, where it then fades into the intergalactic void. So there's geospace, then next is interplanetary space, and then interstellar space, followed by the galactic void. Geospace is a region of outer space near the Earth. Geospace includes the upper region of the atmosphere and the magnetosphere. The Van Allen radiation belts lie within the geospace. The outer boundary of the geospace is the magnetopause, which forms an interface between the planet's magnetosphere and the solar wind. The inner boundary is the ionosphere. As the physical properties and behavior of the near-Earth space is affected, by the behavior of the sun 
and space weather. The field of geospace is interlinked with heliophysics, the study of the sun and its impact on the solar system planets. The volume of geospace defined by the magneto's pause is compacted in the direction of the sun by the pressure of the solar wind, giving it a typical subsolar distance of a 10 Earth radii from the center of the planet. However, the tail can extend outward to more than 100 to 200 Earth radii. The moon passes through the geospace tail during roughly four days each month, during which time the surface is shielded from solar wind. Geospace is populated by electrically charged particles at very low densities, the motions of which are controlled by the Earth's magnetic field. The plasma form a medium from which storms like disturbances powered by the solar wind can drive electrical currents into the Earth's upper atmosphere. During geomagnetic storms, two regions of geospace, the radiation belts and the ionosphere, can be strongly disturbed. These storms increase fluxes of energetic electrons that can permanently damage satellite electronics, disrupting telecommunication and GPS technologies, and can also be hazardous to astronauts, even in low Earth orbit. On the positive side, they also create the aurora seen near both magnetic poles north and south. Although it meets the definition of outer space, the atmospheric density within the first few hundred kilometers above the Kármán line is still sufficient to produce significant drag on satellites. This region contains material left over from previous manned and unmanned launches that are potential hazards to spacecraft. Some of this debris re-enters the Earth's atmosphere periodically. Interplanetary space is the space around the Sun and planets of the solar system. It is the region dominated by the interplanetary medium, which extends out into the heliopause, where the influence of the galactic environment starts to dominate over the magnetic field and particle flux from the Sun. Interplanetary space is defined by the solar wind, a continuous stream of charged particles emanating from the Sun that creates very tenuous atmosphere, the heliosphere, for billions of kilometers into space. This wind has a particle density of 5 to 10 protons per cubic centimeter, and a moving at a velocity of 350 to 400 kilometers per second, or an astounding 780 to 890,000 miles per hour. That's 780,000 to 890,000 miles per hour. That is just amazing. The distance and strength of the heliopause varies depending on the activity level of the solar wind. 
the discovery since 1995 of extrasolar planets mean that other stars most possess this own interplanetary media. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.